you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But before we get to that, I want to read two scriptures myself leading into that. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And just hold your spot right there for a minute. But I'm going to read two scriptures. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, if you're taking notes, and 1 Timothy 1, 5. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And in 1 Timothy 1, 5, Paul says, now the end of the commandment is charity, that's love, out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. That word unfeigned was used in both of those scriptures and it means sincere or without hypocrisy. Something that's unfeigned means it's not fake, it's genuine, okay? It's without hypocrisy. Now I want us to read the scripture in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And Paul says, uh, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Stephen actually mentioned that phrase, simplicity in Christ, at the beginning of a Sunday school class before we even actually got into the lesson. And I thought about that. I want to define that word. I'm going to give a few definitions through this sermon. But the simplicity that is in Christ... Uh, it means a singleness, it means a sincerity, a generosity, and without self-seeking. A singleness, a sincerity, without self-seeking. So it's a Christ-like attribute, that's a good thing. We talk about this simplicity that is in Christ, it's of the Lord, this is a Christ-like attribute, this is something that's found in the Lord, and it says that, the simplicity that is in Christ and the Lord is this way. I'm just going to give, give a few thoughts real quickly on this simplicity that's in Christ. He is without self-seeking. Right? Then the Bible say that even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give. To give His life a ransom for many. That's why He came. And that's what He came to do. That is totally representative of our Lord. He is, he is without uh, self-seeking. He is also sincere. He's not a liar. Satan is the liar and the father of lies. Jesus, even one of his names, is the truth. And the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. So he's sincere. And a singleness. And the singleness, the Lord Jesus, when he came, had a singleness in his purpose. He had a singleness in his heart. In other words, he knew he was going to the cross. He wasn't going to be deterred from that. You know how there was, uh, and you know his life, there's one point where Jesus was ministering, he got the crowd mad, and they wanted to throw him off the cliff and kill him, but he wasn't going to die being thrown off the cliff, he's going to the cross, nothing's going to stop it, he says he passing through the midst of them, just walked on through, why, because he's God, it wasn't his time, he wasn't going to die like that, or at that time, he was single in his devotion to the Father, and to the will of the Father. He said, I only do the things I see my Father doing. I only say the things I hear my Father saying. And there's another point they wanted to take Jesus and make him king. You know, he was just up and down in his popularity. And he wasn't going to be made king. He was going to the cross. And so this word simplicity in Christ, this singleness, this sincerity, 
uh, this without self-seeking, it obviously speaks of the Lord. And the Lord is able to impart that into men, to human beings, through the new birth. When we're born again, when we're saved, He is able to impart these types of attributes, along with the fruit of the Spirit and so many things, that would not be in our lives otherwise. You can't just simply try to mimic it. Okay, these have to do with natures, with traits, with attributes that are inerrant. And they're inerrant from the Lord that He imparts to a person. The fruit of the Spirit is a fruit of His Holy Spirit. A lost person can try to mimic every one of those nine fruits, for example, and cannot actually attain unto it. He might fool some people, but it's not in His heart. And, And the Lord wants it to be in our hearts. It's always a part of our heart. So the Lord can take this simplicity, this singleness, this sincerity, this unselfishness, okay? And in, through the new birth, He can impart that and make that part of our nature. And certainly we'll grow in that as we grow in Christ and become more like Jesus through the years. But not only does He do that in our lives, He desires for His people to, to live that way. Okay, I know that sounds very simple. But he desires for his followers, for example, that's you and I, to prefer one another. Doesn't the Bible say that? Esteeming others better than yourself, preferring one another. That's simplicity because he says it's without, one of the definitions, without self-seeking, without self-serving. And I can tell you, everything in this lost nature, everything in this fallen nature, from the Garden of Eden till now, and still in my life and your life, even as a born-again person, is selfishness. Everything revolves around self. That's why we are to come and die. To die daily. Die daily. Take up our cross. Deny ourselves and follow the Lord. Because everything is about me, me, me. Even if we paint it up real nice and put a real good face on it, even within our church life or Christianity, at the heart of it, if we're not careful, can be self. And so, I want to talk about this simplicity that's in Christ. And as we go this morning, there's also in in contrast to this simplicity that's in Christ, there will be a trait, as I just mentioned, it can be very open and obvious or it could be very hidden. And it would be the opposite of that, which would be uh, very uh, insincere. We, We look sincere, but inwardly we're not. We, we say the right things outwardly, but we're not. That, that's not what's going on in our heart. It can be very hidden. It can be very subtle. And uh, it's not of the Lord. That would be the opposite of this simplicity. It's just that old nature that may be camouflaged. Okay? And the Lord wants to deal with our hearts. He wants to get in there. Praise God, He not only wants to, but He's able to. I'm glad that our Lord can affect our hearts. He can get in there where it counts and where it matters and deal with what's important. Uh, The Lord and the Lord only can deliver us from that that insincerity, that self-serving, that selfishness, that uh, divided heart. It's partly after God and partly after serving ourselves or for some other type of gain. I just want to, you can turn if you want, but I'm going to go ahead and read it for time's sake, but uh, the Bible says in Mark chapter uh, 7 verses 21, and then I'll skip to 23. It says, For from within, out of the heart of men, 
perceive evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. They come from within because they're already there. They're already present. It's not just like Satan has to come along and just plant it in our hearts. All of these things come from the heart of man and they defile the man. To eat with unwashed hands, Jesus said, that's not what morally will defile a man. It could make you sick or something like that. But it's not morally going to defile you. But it's what comes back out of the heart of man. And all of these things, it says, come from evil things come from within and they defile the man. Well, the Lord, the Lord wants us to be simple. And that's that term of simplicity that we're using this morning in our hearts. And He wants that heart to be pure purely His, fully devoted to Him. He wants it to be undivided. And He can make it that. And I thank the Lord He's in the process of doing that. But it's important for us to see and recognize what's going on in our own hearts. And only the Lord can reveal it to us. Y'all, we know ourselves better than anyone else, but the Lord knows us even better than we know ourselves. And we can fool ourselves a lot of times. And we need to, to open ourselves and bear ourselves before the Lord and let him deal with us. But um, we can live this way with the undivided heart by the Spirit of God working in us. Amen. What Paul feared, if you're looking back at the scripture in 2 Corinthians, that's going to be our main text. We'll look at a lot of others, but 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says, but I fear. Okay, he said I'm, in the preceding verses, I'm jealous over you with a, with a godly jealousy. You know, because I want you to be fully God's, espoused to Him, married to the Lord and to no one else. And he says, but I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He was concerned that, uh, that there would be taken away from that, that they would be led away from it. You know how when you first come to the Lord... There is, whether he came as a young child or an adult, whenever you gave your life to Christ, there's a real simplicity in that. There's a real childlike aspect to that. And the Lord even said, unless you be converted and become like one of these little children, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That word converted means uh, to become like a turning. Okay? And childlike, I believe, in innocence, childlike in belief. And I've said it before, you know, not now, of course, but when my kids were little, real little, maybe like Ian or one of these little ones here, if Chris said, you know, Ian, I can pick up this, this our car and I could press it over my head, Ian would probably believe Chris at this point. Now, he'll come to realize he can't do that, but um, there's a childlike uh, innocency in that. And you could tell your kids and they just, they just believe, you know, like the Bob and Head doll. They just... And, and, and when it comes to the Lord and what He tells us in His Word, that's actually a good way to be. It's not naive and it's not foolish and it's not stupid. It's, it's wise to believe everything that God has said. And I believe that's the, the part of that simplicity is that faith and that childlike faith. But Paul feared not in, in this passage, I don't see, and it might be included in this, but I don't see that his fear was that there would just be this blatant um, uh, like heresy or doctrinal deception among the people. That is found in other places in Scripture, okay, about doctrinal deception. Uh, 
But I think what he was concerned about these Corinthians believers here at this point was that they would be corrupted, it says, from the simplicity which was in Christ, that their minds and hearts would be turned from this godly state of being an undivided heart, of being sincere, being unselfish, which is such a Christ-like way to be, that somehow they'd be moved from that and go back to that old nature. Yeah, there's plenty of warnings in the Bible and in Corinthians as well about false doctrines and false Christ and false gospels, and some of that's going to follow. But right here, his concern is that they would be turned from being unselfish to being selfish, even within the house of God, even among the people of God, to a state or condition of being deceitful, to being dishonest. And it's possible, y'all, y'all understand, it's possible for a Christian to live that way, to have proper and sound doctrine, where we line up perfectly all the way down the line, and yet in our heart of hearts not be sincere. In our heart of hearts, in our dealings with people, or maybe even our dealings with the Lord, not be uh, honest, or not, or maybe we have some ulterior motive in there. It's possible for, uh, for our profession to be very orthodox. Here's my doctrine. Here's our church doctrinal statement. This is what I believe. This is what I profess. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and yet not be that. And I'll give an example. For, for example, uh, you and I know that lying is, is a sin. I'll just pick lying, for example. And you know it, and you might could turn to five or ten passages or scriptures in the Bible to back up your case. The Bible says lying is a sin. Don't bear a false witness and things like that. Liars are going to have their part in the lake of fire, it says in Revelation. And we know it's not of God. And we might even teach a Sunday school lesson on it, or teach a Bible study in it, but in our hearts still be lying. It's possible to do that, right? To understand, and understand even scripturally, that lying is a sin, and yet I might not be honest in my heart. In my dealings with my spouse, in my dealings with others, in my dealings, like I said, with, with the Lord, or even being honest about my own heart or life. We could say amen at all the right times when the preacher's preaching against sin and yet be harboring that same sin in our lives. And this is not to scare us. The answer is Jesus, okay? There's an answer to it all. But but he's the only answer to it. I cannot put my, pick myself up by my bootstraps and just take care of that. I do need to deal with it. I need to deal with it honestly before the Lord. But I just know that this was, this was Paul's concern. It would be a concern for my own life, that I could hold to the strictest fundamental doctrines and yet not line up with that in my heart. And I want to line up with that in my heart. Amen? We can teach our kids all the right things and be a hypocrite inwardly in our heart of hearts and still not be lining up with that. And you know what? Nobody knows. Alberto could do it so well. I'm not saying he's doing this. Alberto could do it so well and cover that selfishness or self-seeking or hypocrisy that not one of us in this room could, could discern it. I mean, God could show us. But only one that would know it would be Alberto and the Lord. And Alberto might not even know it 
to the extent that it's there. Nobody knows it except the Lord. But I'm just going to read this scripture from uh, Matthew 5. But let your communication be yes, yes, no, no, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And I'm thinking about our hearts lining up with our mouth. Let your communication be yes or for this or no for that. Just let it be straightforward. Let your eyes look straight forward. Let your speech be lined up with what's in your heart. You've heard it before. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Um, I think that's godly. I think I can be found, not that phrase, but that truth can be found in the Word of God. Because, because uh, it's important that what we speak comes from sincerity in, in our heart. And we're not just saying what I think y'all would want to hear. I would just say what makes the situation, pacifies the situation, and so forth. But I want to say from the heart what's true. It's lining up. I want to say what's right, and I want it to line up with a heart that's right, and, and not be deceiving. I'm just going to give this scripture from Romans 16, uh, 19, if you're taking notes. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf, but let, yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Simple means harmless, unmixed, unmixed, and innocent. Okay? I want you to be simple concerning evil. I want you to be innocent from that. I don't want you to be mixed concerning what's evil. I want you to be, like I said, your eyes looking straight ahead, your heart be lined up with your profession. It is possible, y'all, you understand, not, it doesn't have to be, it's not inevitable that believers sin, but it is possible, and we know it from experience. Since we've been saved, how many of you have sinned since you've been born again, okay? Uh, so we know it's possible to truly be born of the Spirit of God, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, your Holy Ghost lives inside of you, and you are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God has predestinated us all for that in Christ. It's possible for me to be that, totally forgiven, justified, righteous in the eyes of Jesus, and to, to commit sin, to commit a lot of sins, to commit gross sins, to commit sins for a long period of time. So we never should think it's impossible for us to do this, to be insincere in our hearts, or to be hip hypocritical or selfish. And, and I want to say this, y'all, as we go on with the Lord, and as we go on in church, you know, fellowshipping with other believers year after year after year. And I'll say this, all of us can sin, and y'all, we can sin in some of the most obvious ways where everybody can point it out, but we're also able to sin in some of the most, and I'm using this word uh, with quotes around it, okay, in the most Christian way. We can sin sometimes in the most Christian way. In other words, we could gossip in the most Christian way sometimes. We could backbite. And I could say bad things about Chris Wilcox over there to Stephen. Hey, Stephen, let me tell you about Chris. Just pray for him, brother, because this is going on in his life. We're just, I'm just telling you this so we can be in prayer. And just throw him under the bus. That's not of God. But what did I do? I wrapped it in a real Christian wrapping. We can all do that, right? And even justify it somehow in our minds that, hey, we want to pray for Chris. You know, but I know in my heart of hearts, and the Lord knows, my real motive was I wanted to make him look bad. Or maybe I wanted, maybe me and Chris were having an argument, 
and I want to win Stephen to my side. So instead of just coming straight out and saying it, I came like that. I said, let's be praying. He's really going through some things, but blah, 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 blah. And I've, and I've done two things. I've made him look bad without him there to, to shed any light himself on it. And I've won, he made myself look good. You know, I'll, and so my, my intent in that was not Christ-like. So we can sin and gossip and backbite and slander all in the most Christian way, in the most godly way. I don't want to be part of that. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to want to be part of that. I'm not saying I've never done it before, but I don't want my heart to be that way. I can do that in a most Christian, seemingly Christian way and be very, very self-serving in all that. But remember that word simplicity was without self-serving. The simplicity that's in Christ is not that way. It's not going to do that. You know, you, sometimes, y'all, many times in our lives, we have to tell the truth even when it hurts. We have to tell the truth even when it's going to cost us something. We have to tell the truth even when nobody knew, but we knew, and we had to say it. In other words, we're confessing to something maybe at work, or in our marriage, or whatever it may be. Hey, well, I just kind of got away with it. But yet in the heart of hearts, as a believer, as a born-again man... I have a higher standard of calling. I want to keep that heart right. And I want to keep that heart pure. And God, and there's times we haven't done it. God forgive us. You know what I'm saying? But, but the thing is, we'll do it. We need to do it. And God helps us to do it. And we find there's such a freedom that comes in that. There's such a liberty that comes. And I can put my, my head on my pillow at night and sleep like a baby with a clear conscience that, that even though it... it you know, nobody else knew. I knew. And it may have cost me something, so to speak, but I gained a lot more by bringing it before the Lord or bringing it before others to, that I would have needed to bring it before. And uh, we can become very skilled, y'all. It's scary how skilled men can become, men and women. Christian men and women can become in, in sinning and hiding and covering it up so well and putting the right face on it, and the right scriptures on it, or whatever, but in our heart of hearts, it's still not of the Lord. I want to give an example. Y'all turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. <clears throat> now, we all know the story. This Samuel's, um, uh, Saul was the first king. 1 Samuel 15, we'll start in verse 13. Saul was the first king of Israel. Uh, the people wanted a king. They want to be like the other nations. And the Lord said, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. Uh, they don't want me to be their king. And Saul, when he started out, he was little in his own eyes. He was humble. He was a big man, physically. Head and shoulders above everybody else. But he was humble, initially. He didn't consider himself anything. You're going to make me king? And, and God did choose him and, and made him king. Well, God gave him a mission. God gave him a specific job to do. You know that in the matter with the Amalekites, we all know the story. Uh, roughly 400 years, more than that probably, the Amalekites, when Israel was basically defenseless and you had, they had their men, women, and children, they were coming out of slavery in Egypt, packing all their stuff, and they didn't have weapons, and they didn't have an army, and they didn't have anything. They're just a bunch of people, a million and a half people possibly, scholars say. And they want to say, can we just pass through your 
land. And now we won't eat any of your food or drink your water. If we do, we'll pay you back. We won't trample your ground or whatever. We'll just pass through. And they laid an ambush and attacked them. And God gave them a space as a nation to repent. And they didn't repent. Now the Lord knows in His wisdom and sovereignty that time frame and everything else. But he wanted to, now He wanted to bring a recompense upon them, the Amalekites, for their sin all these years before. And so He says, Saul, I want you to go through the prophet Samuel. He speaks to him. He says, I want you to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. It's not us to judge whether that's cruel or whatever. God's good and He's just. He knew what He was doing. He had a purpose in it. But I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites, the men, the women, the children, the animals, everything. I want to put them out of remembrance. I gave them a space to repent, and they did, he said. And so Saul goes with the Israelites, and he leads them in a battle, and they come back from the battle, and they won a great victory. There's no doubt it was a complete victory. But let's pick up in, in chapter 15, verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul. Samuel was the priest and the prophet at this time. Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. So he's starting out right off the bat, very Christian, uh, you know, Christ-like tone and everything. Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I mean, it sounds totally at face value, a total godly thing. You see what I'm saying? Everything looks right. And so he's making this profession. And Samuel says, What meanest thou that then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. What was part of his commandment? From God Almighty. I want you to destroy even the animals. Okay? The animals. It's not for us to judge why. It's the point that that was what the Lord told him to do. Okay? And he comes back and he's saying, I perform the, uh, the commandment of the Lord. That's a lie. He didn't. But he said he did. And he said, Blessed be thou the Lord, and everything's looking godly and right. But where the rubber meets the road, it wasn't. And Saul knew it wasn't. Okay? And, and Saul says, now here's how we do. We, I say human beings. Okay? You may not do this. You, you might have. I probably have as well. Here's what people do. Saul said, they. So now he's looking for an excuse, a scapegoat. He points to his little army out there. And he points to them and he says, They have brought from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Now see how godly it sounds? They spared the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen. For what? To sacrifice unto the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So we, we, we hey, look, you, you see some sheep and some goats and stuff around here. But yeah, it's for a very spiritual and godly reason. We spare them to make sacrifices to God. And actually it was the people that did it. And so what is he doing? He's damage control. He's damage control. He's looking for a way to take something that's disobedience. You might not think it's very disobedient or a big deal. I might not think it's very disobedient. But God said, utterly destroy them. The sheep and the oxen and everything. So he clearly disobeyed God. And he tries to spin it in such a way that it still looks godly and it still looks spiritual. It's for a sacrifice for the Lord. 
And what does what uh, Samuel end up telling him? He says, to obey is better than the sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. And obedience comes from a heart. Obedience comes from a, when nobody's around. I think of someone like Daniel in the Bible. When nobody was around, he still did what's right. It's easy for Chris or Reynolds or me or anybody when people are watching to abstain from some type of sin. But when nobody's around, it's just me and the Lord. Like Joseph in the Old Testament, when, when Potiphar's wife wanted to have this illicit relationship with him, and there was an opportunity for that, and she was attractive, and yet he got out. He fled. He says, how can I do this sin and this wickedness and sin against God? That's a man of integrity. Where, is he, where does he have integrity? Outwardly, he has integrity in his heart. And because he had integrity in his heart, it affected his life and his actions. It, it flowed from that. It wasn't a double standard. He wasn't unmixed like one of those definitions we gave. You know what I mean? He wasn't mixed. He was unmixed in his heart. It lined up. And, uh, but we, we can use scriptures and we can paint it sometimes. Our disobedience and our sin or what's really in the heart, and put uh, a lost person probably wouldn't do it in a godly way, but a Christian can do it, and even do like Saul, and say we did it to make sacrifices to the Lord. And and I, I want us as a people, and I want myself to guard against that. To guard against that. And that's something only you and the Lord know. And so this is about really examining ourselves. But I just want to move on. We can have our own interest at heart, and be selfish, and there's a depth to it, and there's a deception to it, and there's a hypocrisy to it that can get very, very ingrained to where we actually start to believe in ourselves. That's where we got to be careful. You understand what I'm saying? We could tell our lies like Saul could tell those lies to the man of God's face. Samuel knew exactly what was going on. He was hearing from God. Samuel wasn't fooled at all. Saul looking him in the eyes and telling him a lie and making it sound godly. And Samuel knew what was going on. The Lord knew what was going on. And maybe when we do it enough, we don't know. We fool ourselves. And that what James says, that be doers of the word not hearers, only deceiving the others, deceiving your own selves. Mm -hmm. And I've said it before and I believe it. And in studying, I, I see it as well, that that self-deception would be the worst of all. Because if, if Chris tricked me or deceived me into something, and then maybe Damien would come and set me straight and say, no, Chris was just deceiving me. Here's the truth. He could set me straight. But if I've deceived myself, it's a lot harder to be set straight because I really am convinced of it myself. You see what I mean? We have to be careful. Again, it's not to scare us. We're going to fall into some kind of self-deception can't get out. I believe if we want out, God will help us out. If we don't want to go there, we don't have to ever go there. It's not inevitable that we deceive ourselves. God's inevitable that we walk with Jesus. Keep our eyes on the Lord and walk with the Lord. Amen. But the Bible speaks that adulterous woman that's, and I'm not saying at all that she was Christian or Christ-like at all, but she commits adultery in Proverbs 30 and then she wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. You know, just, uh, just, it's, it's scary. It's scary. And as a believer, we don't want to do that to where do something simple, lie straight to somebody's face, wrap it in Christian terms, but in our heart, we just lie. 
And Almighty God knows who gets love. You know what I'm saying? There's a freedom from that. We don't have to live that way. That's that nature of Adam. That's the nature of the God of this world. The Lord makes us free from that. We're different. He wants us to be different and walk free from that. The only one who really knows it is the Lord. And the Bible says, y'all can turn it uh, in your Bibles to Psalm 139. We'll look at a couple more scriptures. <clears throat> While you're turning there, uh, you know that passage in Hebrews where it talks about the Word of God being quick and powerful and so forth. It goes on to say that uh, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. What is that saying? The Lord sees it all. The Lord sees it all. All things are bare naked before the Lord unto Him, the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Let's just look at a couple of scriptures here in Psalm 139. We're going to read 1 through 4 and then skip down to verse 11. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my past and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. This is just showing the totality of how the Lord, our Creator, knows us so completely. He knows us better than we know ourselves. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Skip down to verse 11. I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. If I say that, he says, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. What is he saying? The Lord knows. The Lord knows. So uh, I could fool you possibly. If the Lord didn't show you, I might be really good at it. My wife could fool me and we could fool each other. But what have we really gained? It gains some temporary thing. Maybe it gains us some money in a business deal. Maybe it gains us uh, the consequences of some, you know, not, not facing the consequences of some action we committed or sin that we committed. But we really haven't gained anything. We think we have. And the world operates that way. You know, you uh, uh, a salesman may sell something and, and lie about it and, and kind of snicker while the customer leaves. And yet... They haven't really gotten away with it, have they? For all intents and purposes, they have. But they haven't really. When God's in the picture, the night and the light, the night and the day are the same to you, Lord. You see it all. There has to be a fear of God. There needs to be an under, a walk with the Lord. And all your ways acknowledge the Lord. To understand that He's with us. And that's that singleness, that simplicity, where I'm devoted to God. I got away with it at work, but I don't want to just get away with it at work. I want to be at work what a man of God is supposed to be at work. You understand what I'm saying? And and that's where the real victory comes in the freedom. And there's a humility with that. And like I said, a God-fearing. But back to our scripture. I'm keep going back to it in, in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 about Paul's fear was that they'd be corrupted. I'm going to just give a few definitions of some words here. That these Christians in Corinth, that their minds would be corrupted from. Corrupted here means, I've got a lot of words, defile, ruin, spoil, destroy, influences to deprave, and self. Self is thrown in there and all that. So that their minds would be corrupted from 
this sincerity, this singleness, this simplicity, this unselfishness that is in Christ. It's in Christ, and it's in us as we abide in Him by the power of the Spirit. And Paul feared lest they should be beguiled. Y'all know that word. It means to seduce wholly. It means completely. Completely seduced. Lest they should be beguiled um, or, or deceived and corrupted in their minds from this simplicity. Okay? They're moving away from it. They're being led away from it. Not just some blatant doctrinal uh, uh, deception that's that's just as real and we've talked about those things before but I'm capable of it and you're capable of it and I just want to read a couple of scriptures you don't have to turn there if you're taking notes I'm reading from Luke 11:34 and Colossians 3:22 says the light of the body is the eye therefore when thine eye is single thy whole body also is full of light Jesus said but when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. I think it has to do with what we're talking about here. If your eye is single, and to me that's in the study that I've done, it's just you're, you're looking at something, you're not having an evil eye. The Bible actually talks about an evil eye. Where I could, you know, look at Buck, but I'm really, I could put a smile on my face, but when I look at Buck, I'm thinking some ill intent towards him, something I want to do to him, take from him, something like that. Let your eye be single. And if your eye is single, it says, then, then uh, you know, then, you're, then it says, if the body, the light of the body is the eye, therefore, if thine eye be single, the whole body is also full of light. It all just goes together. It goes together. There's not a hypocrisy there. One more scripture in Colossians talks about servants. It says, Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. These are earthly people that you work for or serve. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. It brings the Lord into the picture. I don't care if you make a lot of money or a little money. The Bible says it doesn't matter if your boss or your master is kind and a Christian and godly and extremely generous or he's somewhere in the middle, or he's horrible. You know, forward, the Bible says. You still do what you do as unto the Lord. There's a peace in that. You understand what I'm saying? There's a peace in that. Well, he's a jerk of a boss, and they underpay me. Therefore, I'm going to do such, such, and such, such, and not give my best effort, leave a little early. You know what I mean? Just And, and yet, we're not bringing God into that picture. It says, it's fearing God, we do it. Y'all, that's a real, I know I've said a real freedom in living that way. I don't have to try to live two different ways, you know? They come to church and worship God, lift my hands, and yet go to work and, and give half effort or something like that. Or steal something from work because it's, well, they don't pay me enough, so I can take a little bit of this or whatever. Uh, the Lord wants to keep us from that. He wants to keep us from that, amen? But that singleness there that it's talking about, not with our service, but with singleness of heart, fearing God, it means a union, a folding together. So like I said, what we see, what we say, how we act, how we work, is all folded together in a, in a fear of God. They're not divided. Don't say one thing and live another. And I'm going to be closing here uh, with this, no, in just a second, but... 
I don't, I don't really want to be, and I said it earlier, I don't want to be a deceiver. I know it's possible for me to be. I know that I've done it before. I know I've asked God to forgive me for it. But I don't want to be that. That's not an admirable trade. I'm saying even if I get away with it, even if every other person believes I'm the most godly person in the world, even, even if I'm very good at deceiving people, I don't want to be that way. And God doesn't want me to be that way. And listen to what Paul said. This is a great scripture. You can write this one down. Acts 24, 16. Uh, and when he was appearing before Felix, and he was being, this was like the, towards the end of the end of Paul. You know, he was uh, towards the end of his life when he was arrested in Jerusalem and then shuffled off from prison to prison, finally making his way to Rome where he spent the last couple of years of his life before he was martyred for the Lord. But he was appearing before Felix and I was the governor, and he said, And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. I mean, isn't that a wonderful way to live? He says, I'm exercising myself to always have a conscience. I don't know, you know, Patricia's conscience. You see what I'm saying? That's something between her and the Lord. But to exercise myself, to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. What a way to live. You still might be hated by people. They still threw him in prison. They still beheaded him. Okay? It's not that we're necessarily going to always, it's always going to work out for our benefit in this life. But it's absolutely always going to work out to your benefit in, to, to your God into your life and the blessings and the plans that He has for you. You know, the Bible says our own sin can withhold blessings from us. And what it says, I, I forget if it's Jeremiah or Isaiah, y'all might know, but He says, your sins and iniquities have withheld these blessings from you. Wasn't they weren't, they were still God's people. They were still Israel and the chosen of God in that context, but they, they were withholding blessings from their own lives because of their own sin. And I just, I know that we, we ought not live that way. We don't have to live that way. Let's look at one more scripture. Everybody turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul has a prayer for the church at Ephesus. And in part, we're going to read one, one part of it right here. <coughs> Ephesians 3.16 that He, that's the Lord, would grant you according to the riches of His glory. So this is something that comes from the Lord. To be strengthened with might by the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit, in the inner man. Okay? In the inner man. And that's what we're talking about. That place where the heart is. That place of our, where we actually have a relationship with God. The place where our conscience is and all of that in our mind and our thoughts. It's all there. And he says that we would be strengthened in that inner man. The inner man is that spiritual part of nature, of our nature, that, as the scriptures say, is renewed day by day. Paul says that inner man that delighted after the law of God in that inward man. And he says that you might be strengthened, not necessarily do supernatural miracles, but that you be strengthened in the inner man, basically to live a godly life, to live a holy life, Okay? to grow, to mature, to be uh, sincere Christians in our hearts, y'all. That's, that's where it all matters, is the heart. I know it's a very simple message this morning, but 
that's where our Christianity is. That's where our it all is. We can talk about it. We can sing about it. We have Bible studies. It's going to come down to your heart personally and my heart personally. I'm born again, and we ask Jesus where? Into our heart. And then we live, live and walk it out from the heart in the dealings that God does with our heart for us. A man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's really where we are. That's where it's lived out. I know that um, we, we live out our Christianity among people a lot of times, you know what I mean? Like, and we're tested with patience and, and charity and loving our brothers and all through, through our relationship with others, enemies and friends and lost people and saved people. But it's going to come out of the heart, out of the heart of man. Not a fake thing. The Lord wants it to be the real and I'm, I'm going to close just by reading these two scriptures in. And I, like I say, every service, I know we're crowded in here, but I want us to try to have a time of the altar. Our altar for now is going to be, you can sit at your seat, kneel at your seat, kneel at one of these sofas, and take some time before we just run off and fellowship and have coffee to pray. We want that to be an established part of our church. And not something that's just, oh, well, we can't do it because we don't physically have an altar. An altar is a place of sacrifice, okay, where we meet with God. And we want to have that every service. But I want to read these two scriptures before we pray and close with these. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of what? The heart. A good man. He's good because of the Lord's presence there. Because we know the scriptures say there's none good, no, not one. It's only the Lord that can make a man good. Okay? But it says a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. But it's out of the heart. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. I don't want to be uh, double-minded in my heart. I don't want to be uh, split devotion in my heart of self-serving and God serving. And wrap it all in this form of Christianity like Saul did. When it's really sin at the core. That's what it is. And the last scripture is Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence. That means to guard it, to keep it. Keep thy heart. He's telling us what to do. Ask God to help you and me. But that's what we're told to do. For out of it are the issues of life. Out of that heart. And the same thing Jesus said in the New Testament. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart is going to bring forth good things. And so can we just pray and you take a little time this morning before we rush off and before we visit. Take some time, however long it is, we'll leave you alone. If, if God leads you to get up and make your way to pray over somebody, then make your way. I'm not going to be walking around praying over anybody. Uh, for, for a little while here. But uh, if God leads you to do that, then do it. We want a church and we want to be a church body. But let's just bring this before the Lord. If you pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we just come before you this morning, God. And Lord, I want for myself what you want for me, God, and for this people. Lord, that we wouldn't be corrupt in our minds, we wouldn't be beguiled and deceived away from the simplicity that's in Christ. That we have a singleness in our heart. We wouldn't be hypocritical, God. We wouldn't have hidden sin that we cover and put a pretty face on it so that unto men we appear to be godly and spiritual. 
And God, by all means, would you please not let us deceive ourselves, Lord. Would you even this morning, God, show us if there's hidden sin in our heart that we have not confessed to or wanted to see or wanted to face up to. We wanted to pretend like it wasn't there, God. And we've gotten away with it seemingly for a long time. And Lord, this morning we want to come clean. There's a real freedom and a liberty, God, and a peace and a joy that comes in being really free from it. Nobody else may know, and it's not that we have to confess it necessarily to anyone else, God. But we come before you this morning, God. Like David said in the psalm, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting, God. Help us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. And we thank you that you're quick to forgive, God. You don't make us beg and plead for mercy. If we'll genuinely face up to it and confess it and say, God, it's here. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm acknowledging that it's here. And you don't want it to be here. It's an offense to you. And I don't want it to be here. Take it from me, God. You will take it. And you'll forgive us and cleanse us, God, from all unrighteousness, God. Thank you for that we have a merciful high priest that stands in the gap for us and intercedes on our behalf. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for this church that you birthed, God. We want to be a godly people. We want to be a holy people. We want to be a happy people, God, in our heart of hearts, God, not deceiving or being deceived. Help us, Lord God. Help us, Jesus. You're the only answer for that. In Jesus' name.